Why? why? <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why anybody would listen to this. I was just, I was doing an echo. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Hey, you know, the funny thing, it's not really funny. Not, not really (laughs) funny. More ironic than funny. Uh, Joe and I had, I'd talked to Joe about being on the podcast twice. The first time while we were out in California, I was like out in California and I met him for dinner one night and I was like, hey, we're doing this podcast. Would you be interested? He was like, yeah. And I'm like, do you have some sort of a microphone or something? And he said, yeah. And um, he told me about like some software where like the noise levels, like you can control the noise levels better so you don't saturate. Um, yeah. Which is fantastic. But I don't have the, that software. So the only <laughs> interview. No, wait, wait, wait. You, you totally just cut out. Oh, did I? I have no idea what you just said. It was pretty comedic. Oh my god! Really? Given the, the oh topic. Oh my god! So, 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 so he, he uh, told you about the software. He told me about the software, uh, <laughs> but the software that like uh, doesn't um, doesn't allow the uh, the yeah, right, no saturation. No saturation. Uh, gotcha. And so, like the only podcast in which I muffed up the input so it saturates with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and the entire time it's like <laughs> I feel like such an ass and I just have to apologize to Joe right now I'm sorry Joe that, of course that's going to happen I know. <laughs> I know I tried to get the sound levels right but you know I mean the last time I interviewed somebody where they were sitting right next to me, the input levels were so low, it was so difficult to actually get, yeah. you know, the, to make it so you could hear them. And what happens is when people talk, they talk really loud to begin with, and then they get really soft. And you're just like, oh, that's so frustrating because you can't hear the last thing that they're saying unless you turn up the volume. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm just yes. going to tweak the volume under the assumption that we're going to sit far enough away from the uh, microphone that like it's, it, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> but but Joe knew what he was doing. Joe did know what he was doing. Too bad that the person <laughs> interviewing him was an idiot. You know, by like episode hundred or so, we'll have this figured yes. out. Joe, one of Joe's favorite <laughs> sayings is, "If you were smart, which you're not, you would blah blah blah." <laughs> totally fits. Totally fits. Once again, Joe, I'm sorry. Budgets are fascinating, by the way. <laughs> oh, so fascinating. Yeah, yes. I think it was like the Kardashians. Their next show is going to be budget talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that would be a number one bestseller. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that they used to have on like the Learning Channel. And then they realized that nobody watches that. <laughs> like uh, how to use Excel? Yeah. yeah. Huh. The how to use <laughs> Excel show. I'm sure that was probably something like That's... that. They used to have, this is what science is. Hey, look, there are planets in our solar system. But how many times in your life have you actually learned something about Excel and gone, holy crap, that's so awesome. I don't actually care about Excel. I don't think, no. I think I've ever used it. Really? No. Huh. We have to have use you, Excel. Have you all done the time. that? I have done that because um, there are some pretty amazing things that you can do with Excel. But there are several times where I have said, and I've heard you say, 
holy crap, you can do that in Emacs? That's awesome. How do you do that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that is true. Because you can Emacs do everything in Emacs. Awesome. Yeah, and, and I'm sure VI has some sort of equivalent way to do things. Well, VI sucks. VI, <laughs> VI sucks. I'm just trying to be polite because I'm not sure yes. what, what side of the religion. Well, right, right. I mean, there could be people listening to this podcast who are vociferous VI folks. I don't know. They're, they're out there, and it's, you know, it's sort of like, you know, being from Los Angeles, I was totally unaware that San Francisco has a whole hatred of the South, Southern California. Really? Yeah. They have this whole thing about it. And a friend and I were in Santa Monica parking our car, and a guy parks up behind us, and he's asking about the meters and when the times are. And he says, oh, I'll probably get a ticket anyway because I'm from San Francisco. And I said, what the hell do you, what do you mean? You're from San Francisco. Who cares if you're from San Francisco? He goes, well, you know. There's the whole rivalry thing. What rivalry thing? He goes, you know, how, you know, the North and the South Asia. We don't care about you guys. Which sounds awfully narcissistic. <laughs> we don't care about you guys. But it's well, but, like, no, we hate you guys. Los Angeles, right? Narcissistic? Turns out it is, well, that may be true. I am obviously very narcissistic. I think your <laughs> wife is convinced that I'm super narcissistic. And she's going to hear that and say, he is. No. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's true. But, uh, the San Francisco kind of like a hundred years ago, or whatever it was, like the big hub of California. Yes. And then when LA kind of took over, there was this mm. jealousy slash envious kind of thing that LA just didn't wasn't aware of. They they didn't have any animosity towards the Bay Area, but the Bay Area right. sure had it towards right towards them. Well, now it's more expensive to live in the Bay Area than it is to live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So you guys have lost. And we basically lost. anywhere else on the planet. Well, yeah, I think San Francisco has turned into the number one most expensive place to live on the planet. I think yeah. I think it took over from Tokyo. I think like by Abu Dhabi or something like that was up oh, there too. Yeah, Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it's got to be up there. Yeah, um, and there's some top five lists that's been floating around. And... Right. I think Ann Arbor's number three or four. Last time I no, checked. No, no, you're thinking of Ipsy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. My mistake. Yeah. Well, we do, as as you say, we do have the HRD. Yeah, you have the HRD, which I drove. I've driven on three times this trip. Right, <laughs> right. The HRD is the Huron River Drive. Oh, yeah. That is that is. Uh, I hear that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is. It's very special. It is. <laughs> okay, so. Um, now that we have um back to budget talk sorry i i digressed from budget talk <laughs> yes you have theme music for budget time what like a little jingle like... oh man that's a good idea yeah. Yeah. oh that's actually really good you know, oh you can, we, you that's edit that in later that's one of the things that we want to do um yeah we do <laughs> oh my god um we have been thinking about how to transition between topics and so I had Isaac play some marimba stuff, and I'll I'll inject some marimba things in here. Uh, and then Dave had some crazy um, musical notes for like a couple episodes ago. Uh, but we're really inconsistent about this and really bad about it. Oh, yeah. It changes every time. Yes. You can rip the little sound clip. I think it's from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, like this little guitar trill that they do. Oh. They do it all the time. Huh. Maybe you should do that for us. Oh, maybe I should do that for you. <laughs> Well, so the first thing that we have to do that we are supposed to do is clap, right, Dave? Oh shit! <laughs> do you want me to? Do you want me to clap? Uh, yeah. Hold on. Uh, are the lights gonna go off when you do that? 
That's that's exactly what happens as we the lights go off. You can probably sync your clap anywhere in the dialogue. What? Did you clap? That's right. No. Clap. All right. Okay. Uh, and that's then gonna be, that's gonna be a fun one. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll have to find it somewhere towards the middle of everything. Okay, remember, Wait, we ten start minutes already? in. We, yeah, we're we're halfway done, man. Okay. It's, you're passing this with flying colors. Uh, yeah, back to uh, Excel. No, so uh, <laughs> why, why don't it's a you podcast about Excel? This is a very very exciting podcast about Excel. I mean, I, I, I talked yesterday to somebody, and I mentioned IDL, and they groaned. Oh, Be, uh, yeah. It was a grad student. And it must have been a MATLAB snob. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that most people are like Python nerds now. Yeah, of course, because right. Python gives you wings. <laughs> Python is actually, I'm, I'm converting to Python. I like it. Yeah. I like it, but, you know, I found when I used to use IDL that, you know, the ability to just have an array and just say, plot this, and you can see exactly where you were at any point, right. and I thought that was Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I don't run anything. I don't write any code in Fortran except for the big model that we have now. I don't write anything in Fortran. I, hate Fortran. I haven't written a line of C++ in a year. What? I know. What do you use? Python. Wow, that's and really amazing. A couple of other libraries. Um, I'm actually doing some web stuff right now, so I'm doing Angular. Which uh, Angular JS is Angular JS is JavaScript's model view controller framework for writing web pages and stuff like that huh it's very nice you i i have to say that you are a nerd i'm a <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the pot calling the kettle black right yeah, there i think it's also you're probably calling your audience any audience you have there is you're probably insulting all of them too uh my sister no is not a here. nerd my sister is not a nerd and um well she's a nerd about other things she's i would say that she is like one-tenth of our audience Maybe. Really? <laughs> I don't know. You said wow. that we had nine subscribers last time, right? Actually, uh, I checked yesterday with 13. Whoa, 13 subscribers. Well, welcome, all 13 people. You guys are so awesome. It's growing so quickly. It is growing. It's growing very quickly. Um, okay, so, so Joe, uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, what, I, what I do or what I did? I'll do both. Yeah. Um, I'm Joe. Should I, last names are okay here? If you would like. Oh, you can put it in the, in the comments. Um, <laughs> uh, and Joe Monsevich, I went to University of Michigan with uh, Aaron. Yeah. Like a long time ago. A long time ago. A long time ago. But I left before finishing my PhD and snuck back ways into the movie industry. And I got into the visual effects arm of... Um, uh, the film industry, which is a service providing kind of thing, and we did a lot of uh, visual effects for feature films. We used to do commercials pre 9 11. There was a whole thing That's right. Uh, right after 9 11. We used to do you know the talking animal kind of stuff and um, worked for a company called Rhythm and Hughes, and they had made a name for themselves doing talking animal stuff. And that was a lot of commercials, and you have a Visa card with a talking parakeet or or whatever. A polar bear sliding down a hill drinking a Coke. Yeah, there was a lot of that. And right around 9-11, uh, nobody wanted to see that anymore. They didn't, huh. they didn't, advertisers didn't want to make cute commercials hmm. for about a year, and that was enough to kind of kill that whole arm hmm. uh, of our 
our commercial section just dried up and we stayed doing feature films. But then we started getting, we sort of decided to steer more and more towards creature stuff, like rather than face talking faces, actually doing full creatures and worked our way into higher and higher profile films. So we, the first one I remember that was seemed like, hey, that's noteworthy was Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter film. Hmm. And we did like the sorting hat and the owls and the dragon that was in it and things. Name 13 other movies that you have done that everybody would know. 13? No. <laughs> 13. I, I think I think last <laughs> I counted it was like 60 or 80 films I've been on. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, How many have you had your name on, literally on? I don't know. I've stopped counting. Right. And like the first time you go to the theater and you see, like Babe 2 was the first one I saw my name on, and I freaked out. I thought that was just the best. <laughs> Turns out the credits don't give you anything there's no value hmm. in it. you can't put that on your resume or your cv and say i have credit on this nobody right. cares no one cares they're kind of a concession to um you know in lieu of pay you get your uh, name <laughs> right. on right. it and it got to a point where this we would have so many people working on a film several hundred people and then universal or warner brothers or or fox would say okay well you get 150 credits i think we had 400 people work on the film yeah, but you get that many credits. And so we got into this whole system where you, it was a rolling thing. Mm-hmm. And um, if you hadn't had a credit in a while and you worked on a film, you could get your, your if you, as long as you worked on it, you could get your name onto it. And I had a coworker who worked on X-Men 2, no, Men in Black 2. And uh, she worked on it for like nine months. And they needed two more characters for this end sequence. It was like, you know, really low shot, and you just had these footprints come through of these kind of elephant-like aliens or whatever. And so I rigged two things up and put them in. I spent five days on the film. I got a credit, and she didn't. But she had just gotten a credit for X-Men and hmm. so or whatever ah. the film was before that, and so I got the credit. So it's kind of... Arbitrary. Kind of arbitrary. Although, you know, you watch... I just watched the new Captain America movie recently. It's just the pages and pages and pages of, of you know, they have so many studios work on those films, yes. and you get hundreds of credits. And I'm scanning constantly as fast as I can. It's like, oh, I know that person, you know, and uh, trying to find you know my my kid's friend's dad, you know, and yes. stuff, and and people who have you know disbanded and gone off to other parts of studios. Uh, one of the women, the woman who's executive producer for pretty much all of the Marvel films, uh, used to work with me. And uh, she worked at Rhythm for a long time, and she moved, moved over to Marvel and just escalated and escalated and escalated. And now she's executive producer on pretty much everything. Huh. So um, you don't have to wait too long to see her name. No, no. She sometimes a front credit. Oh. I think I think I've seen her as a front credit. Huh. And, um, but then I'm like, I see other guys. I'm like, oh, I remember working that guy. He's a jerk. You know. <laughs> Would uh, you care to name any no. names? No. <laughs> I mean, even though there's only 13 people going to hear this, I don't want to mention their names. Um, <laughs> Well, you never know in a few years. Right. Uh, yeah, so right. You, years. We yeah, have, when they go through the backlog, see? I'm being yeah. playing it smart. Right. We could have, That's our goal, to have people have that actually go backwards. We could have 20 people listen. Do you, how, so do you care anymore? Do you, do you care like if, you, if your name is credited at all? No, I, didn't, I haven't cared in a long time. Yeah, it was you, The first one, you're like, awesome. Yeah, first one is awesome. Second one was, hey, that's pretty cool. Your third one's your cousin says, hey, I saw your name when I watched this movie. And then it's just you don't out of the you know sixty or eighty films or whatever it is I've I've worked on it. I've, I always say I've seen like six, but maybe it's been like eight of them. You know, you just you work on them, and that's the interesting, exciting part is they're working on them. You know, they're not necessarily the movies. They're like, oh, I have to see that. You know, you you get work and you do the work. Scooby Doo was your favorite, wasn't it? It was Scooby Doo was my my son's favorite, Cole's favorite. It was. Yeah, it was his favorite movie for a long. He was a huge Scooby Doo nut. Huh. God, that was. You no, know, I was when I was a kid. I liked Scooby Doo when yes. I was a kid. Yes. 
and oh. Garfield. You did Garfield too, oh, right? <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I did the Garfield. Yeah, I did the Garfield movie. Yes, um, but we also did Life of Pi. You didn't mention that one. That's funny. Well, we also won an Academy Award for that. We won an Academy Award for that's right. What was the other one? Golden Compass. They won one for Babe one before Wait, I got there, and then the they Golden won Compass. Won an Academy Award for visual effects. Believe okay, because it was a bad movie. Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> it, was, it was one of my favorite books, and I really didn't like the movie, so it was a bummer. Yeah, um, you get that critique a lot. You know, yeah. they, they always say, "Don't judge a book by its movie." Oh yeah, um, for sure. That one in particular. But you did like Talking Bears on that one too, right? Talking Do you remember? Bears. Oh yeah, because they are because uh, you know yeah. Yorick was the armored bear. Yeah, right. Armored Bear, yeah. I mean, it really, I didn't... By that time, I was mostly in the software end of it. I so I started working, uh, rigging characters so that they could be deformed and animated and put yeah, into what movies. Yeah, what is a rigger? What a rigger is, is... Um, so the 3D model is a, you know, very much like we see in video games, is, are just a bunch of polygons that are modeled in modeling software that says this is where the arm is, this is where the shoulder is, and it's basically the outside surface of whatever the character is. They don't model anything on the inside. It's just this big hollow shell made up of a lot of times triangles, sometimes quads or whatever. I mean, it can do anything, but you know, for video games, it's optimized to use triangles. And mm -hmm. uh, we tend to do stuff with uh, quads or, what you know, some people used to use NURB surfaces, um, and then something called uh, subdivision surfaces became very popular. And so you could take a surface and... and Iteratively re increase the polygon count and and get get a smoother and smoother surface. So you could start with something that you would animate with that's low res, and by the time you render it, it's a higher res mm -hmm. model by just um, uh, doing subdivisions on it. And so yeah, so that's a you know static model. Someone does it in they base it off of basically base it off of clay models. They used to sculpt real things. They had uh, an arm that they would go through and basically a three D arm. I forget the name of it. And it would actually put the 3D data into the computer, and then have a bunch of points, and then someone mm -hmm. would have to go through manually and connect all those points. Then they just got to be really good at doing it with their, you know, without having to have that 3D sculpture to start with. Yeah. But that that, that thing can't move, and so the rigger comes in and adds the the ability for the mesh to be bent and to be deformed. And you say this is what first you put in a virtual skeleton. These are where all the bones for the fingers are, and what the hierarchy is, and then you affect it so that the mesh can be deformed by the animator saying, I want to rotate that bone, and uh, that will deform the skin this way. And it starts off very simple. You have these very rudimentary um, bind this point to this bone by this percentage kind of um, thing. And then it gets more and more complicated, and people wanted to have muscle simulations. So you're actually rigging other surf surfaces that are generate that you generate that are simulating what the muscles would do, and then you find a way to bind the skin to that. But that can be really horrible looking, and so then you have to have um, iterative solvers to kind of smooth that out, or have it relax, or get pulled like it's being pulled over the muscles. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the first, I think it's the first Jurassic Park movie, or one of them. I remember seeing the muscles sliding, the skin sliding over the muscles, and there was this real low-fat kind of character where you had this vein or this big crease in its muscles, and when you can see the skin sliding through that, that's really difficult to do. Yeah. Um, because you're going to get, you know, you're, it is a finite mesh, and so you're going to have these little bridge points, and you, how do you, how do you not see that? Yeah. This is fascinating for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'm, <laughs> you're, I'm enthralled. <laughs> you're staying awake. <laughs> uh, you know, so you get more and more complicated, and um, early on, I uh, would go to the software department and say, hey, can I get this feature? Uh, and they said, sure, you can, uh, but you have to get in line with everybody else. And I'm like, well, I kind of have a deadline, and so does everybody else. And I said, but I know how to program, can I do that? And 
over a few months they vetted me and said, yeah, you can you can commit code. And so as I needed it, I would just add stuff that I needed for my productions. And um, there was only three of us doing rigging at the time, and two of us were writing software for it. And so we just started writing more and more, and as whenever I needed stuff. But you're always thinking about how you're going to make the software better for the not just for that show. You're not writing one-off stuff. You're saying, what am I going to do to make this better for all future shows? And so both the me and the other guy who were writing software, we kind of just migrated into, we just write software mm-hmm. for rigging. Well, he, he went off and did a bunch of other stuff too. He worked in our lighting pipeline, which is how you render and add color. And he wrote all of our first stuff. And I just did in the rigging stuff mostly. And, um, but then our, we grew our rigging department. We had like 15 or 17, or sometimes we'd have 70 people working in rigging and simulation. Hmm. Uh, and so I would write a lot of the software that would support their needs, which made the other departments a little envious, I guess. So, yeah, that'd be because you were writing custom software for your department. So we would go to the, we, every week we'd have a meeting for mm-hmm. you know, what's the status of the animation software. And the lighting department or the tracking department would say, hey, we, know, we put in this request six months ago and we haven't heard a word about it. And this reading list that this guy <laughs> has, he's got like 15 things that were done this week. And I was like, well, that's because I'm not in the software department. I'm in the rigging department. I just write right. software for right. it. Um, but it ended up advancing the rigging software quite a lot when you had yeah. two people, one and a half people really dedicated to, to um to all of that. And so I, that's where I spent most of my last several years. So to make a long story longer short, uh, you won an Academy Award for this software. Yes. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, so they have they have a science. Nicole attack. Kidman gave it to you or something? No. Who's that? Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. Uh, Kristen Bell. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, she was in Frozen at the time. She's hilarious. She's very funny. Is she? Yeah, yeah. And really super nice. And she grew up in she grew up not too far from here. Hmm. And so um, during my acceptance speech, I mentioned uh, that, you know, I said, when I was traveling with my wife back from, from Ann Arbor to uh, Los Angeles, she said, if you ever win an Academy Award, you have to thank me. And I said, yeah, sure, because that's ever going to happen. And I said, well, here I am. I have to, you know, so huh. thanks to my wife. So afterwards, Kristen Bell came up and she's like, you're from Ann Arbor? I said, well, really from Troy. She, she's, you know, she's, I'm from Royal Oak or wherever she was, huh. uh, right by, you know, like eight mile and... Woodward or something like that area, mm-hmm. but she and my wife hit it off, and they're just chatting up, and it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the next, so that so they have scientific and technical awards um, for people who do that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and those are not the ones that go on TV. They're not all as sexy. They, we have right. a very nice dinner at a hotel, like you know the Beverly Wilshire, or I think this one was at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And uh, then the next year, I got invited to be on that committee, so I was helping to figure out. Um, who would get an award and that is a very dedicated detailed arduous process it's great mm. and you learn a lot of stuff but you really really um, vet everybody mm. and then so not only do you say you know, so people su- can submit and they say we have this new technology we think we, we've been using it for five years it's been an X number of movies there are limits like if you don't, haven't used it in production you can't it doesn't qualify mm-hmm. and you submit your, your technology and then they list this is all the technologies that are being considered this year. If you have something similar, please submit. Mm-hmm. And so other studios do. And then we, as a committee, would just sit down and then we break up into subcommittees and say, okay, you guys are handling this. This, you know, looking to this field, you guys are looking to that. And then you have to. Call, we call every other studio that we can find. Anybody who does any, I was calling places in you in Salt Lake City. Hmm. You know, who makes soft, small little software packages and saying, do you guys do anything like this? Because you could. 
Right. Like a lot of some of them don't even write back. They just think this is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you say, "Hi, I'm writing from the academy." And you're like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> um, but you have to be judicious, and you and you, ha- you can't you don't want anybody to come back two years later and say you didn't consider us. Right. Right. Uh, and then you have to, so then you break it down to the people who you think are the most likely contenders, or you, or you make all the phone calls, and then you kind of weed out, okay, well, I don't think those guys even qualify, so we're going to pr- focus on these three or four um, contenders. And it's it's not like somebody wins. They can all win. It's just, hmm. are you, is your something, is, is your technology, and say, you know, if you make an ionospheric model, it doesn't have to be the best. It just has to be something that's exceptional mm-hmm. and has kind of broken new ground, but someone else could have broken new ground as well. Hmm. And so you can both get, you know... Um, so did you give an award? Yeah, we gave one to Industrial Light and Magic, um, and we gave one to Leica, who, but that one didn't award till the next year, hmm. um, because there was some contention in like the voting process. But it's like you know we spend like, four, four months investigating these things. Leica is a camera company, right? Leica or is a, a, a stop motion animation house. Oh, they did Coraline. They hmm. did oh. uh, Paranorman. Uh, hmm. They did Box Trolls this last year. Those and are pretty cool. Movies. So their their innovation was to use three D printers for stop motion animation. Huh. And you know, out of the box, that doesn't sound like it's necessarily a very technical thing, because you're, well, you didn't do anything; you're just printing. But it's there's no those printers don't come with any guarantee of consistency. Mm-hmm. And so they had they did a lot of uh, trying to find out where the sweet spot is. Okay, well, during the twenty percent to eighty percent of the ink cartridge is the only time that we can rely on it. So we do all of our we they basically will burn the first twenty percent on prints that they're going to throw away because mm-hmm. the color consistency is not there. Hmm. Um, reverse engineering the palatone palette to say we need this color, but when we ask for that color, it prints that color. Right. So they actually have to print all of these things and then say that's what that's what they base it off of. Mm-hmm. So they did a little bit of you know their kind of research and trying to all all these little hurdles that they had to kind of get around. Hmm. And actually, kind of went into quite a lot of stuff. And they worked back and forth with the printer company to try to get things. And you know, there's some people are like, well, you know, is there a lot of engineering? Is there a lot of science in that? I don't, you know, I don't know. Can you prove it to me? I was the um, I was I was always like, where's the science? Where's the engineering? Where's the engineering? And everybody else was kind of like. It's there, and so I, I eventually came around and and, hmm. and thought, yeah, okay, it's unanimous. We all kind of agree that these guys deserve it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> now you do something completely different. Yeah. Um, so let's describe one of your typical days. Uh, one of my typical days. Sure. I mean, because you don't actually work like at your company. You work at home. I work home at home a lot. Yeah. So I work well. I work at home half the time. Okay. So um, I fly up to the Silicon Valley and I work for. I don't think that we ever said that. Do we say that where you work for? It's a secret. It's a secret. Oh, I work for Nvidia. Uh, Nvidia, who make graphics cards, and yeah. um, the. You know, they're kind of known for making graphics cards, but their graphics cards um, have a lot of compute capacity. And a lot of more and more memory, and they're very good at doing uh, deep learning, hmm. which is uh, using convolutional neural networks to do learning and do things like recognizing objects in images. And so, when you look hmm. at your social media and it says, I recognize that there's a face right there, or whatever, mm-hmm. or this just looks like your son, um, those are those kind of tasks. Right. And so, why is NVIDIA doing that? NVIDIA does that. Because their hardware does it very, very, very fast. 
um, normally, so you have to train these kind of networks. So you'll say, here are a million images of dogs. And it will mm -hmm. do uh, convolutions on these. It'll break it down and do edge detection. Then it'll do sec second order detections. It'll make layer after mm -hmm. layer after, after layer of, of this and, and say, this is, this is the signature that we get out. And you say that that signature is dog. So we'll do another one and we'll run this image through. And eventually it keeps tweaking these coefficients in these layers until it gets more and more consistent. And it can say, I can identify a dog 85% of the time. Sure, I can sure. say with 95% accuracy that that's a dog or that's a schnauzer. <laughs> and it was actually around last year. So they, have a, they had a contest to see if they could beat a human in image recognition. Hmm. And they finally beat a human. Uh, it, was, it was several companies all at the same time, Google and Baidu and I forget who else. Um, all managed to outdo a human, but he, you know, so the human was saying, "I think that that's a terrier and that's a sheepdog or whatever," and he, or, or this is a duck and that's a bird and that's a stick. Um, and he, but there's going to be some error in that, and mm -hmm. the machine beat it for the first, beat a human for the first time. I don't, I don't understand though. I mean, if you show me a picture of a dog, I'm going to be able to tell it's a dog. So how would a computer win that? There are even breeds of dogs, and you can, and they can, and a machine's able to identify breeds of dogs better than a human can. And the human knew the data set. So it's, it's obviously a dog, but it's like a type of dog and it has characteristics that a human just doesn't remember. Yeah. I, didn't, I haven't seen the data set. It's actually a published data set. Um, mm -hmm. I forget the name of it, which is not helping you look it up right now. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go into that later. But So they to train a network to, to look at all those images and to do those that, that optimization, that, can, that used to take like two months. Yeah. Uh, so you'd put, put on a machine and it would churn for a couple months. And they started putting it onto graphics cards, and all of a sudden it's a few days, and then it's two days. And now it's mm -hmm. a day, and now it's a few hours. And so that makes it into a lot more feasible solution when you're saying we're going to train this, this thing that looks at people or cars or on the road, and you have to wait two months before your next iteration. That's really, really bad. So right. everybody's a lot, pretty much everybody's climbing onto this for training the network. And then you have inference, which is also very fast in graphics card, but it's not necessary. Um, and so there's a lot of companies who are buying up gobs of these cards uh, to to do this. And so a lot of Silicon Valley and medical research. I mean, for example, they use it for detecting uh, uh, cancer cells in breast mm -hmm. breast, and they can say they can detect breast cancer better than a human can. Yeah. And so, but I still don't. So, I mean, to my knowledge, which is probably horrible, Nvidia makes these cards. So why are they actually trying to also do the software. solve this particular problem? Why aren't they just making cards and letting Google take the cards and develop the software? And Google does. This is it's basically we're kind of in the uh, the the vision I'm in are in the marketing end to say this is how you can do it and here's the open source software that can let you get started on it even though you don't really know what you're doing. Mm, okay. And so um, one of the people I talked with recently was uh, a doctor at a hospital in San Francisco, and he was trying to get it to identify fractures and x-rays. Mm -hmm. And uh, he doesn't have the capacity. And so if we can, so he actually uses the software that we have as an open source software to train. So uh, there's, we, there's a framework that comes out of um, Berkeley that we have a web interface that we've been developing for so that you can use that, uses this framework, or there's a couple of other frameworks that you can use. And we have a, uh, we're making interfaces for it so that they can not necessarily be programmer types. They don't have to be Google engineers in order to get their foot, their feet wet and kind of get started and to say, hey, this is something we need to pursue or this can take us to end product. I think it's mostly to get people interested in it and to say, this might be what we want to pursue. Yeah. Um, and they'll okay. buy a bunch more cards yeah, so with their software available. 
Yeah, NVIDIA's interest in it is to sell more cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and they're very, very interested in this product as far as using it as a, as a sales tool. It's to kind of get people, people who wouldn't otherwise have the ability to get into it to be able to get into it. Yeah, that's that's cool. So are you going to ask him about the singularity, Dave? <laughs> well, it certainly seems like um, like this is bad for humanity. <laughs> yes. <sighs> yeah, um, that's what we're working on. It's the secret project. <laughs> to make yeah. humanity obsolete. Well, you know, McDonald's has got that. They have their their auto tellers now or their vendors where you can, you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, and how long have you needed a, a, someone asking you what kind of burger you want? I mean, you go to the movie theater and you press what kind of Coke you want, and you can like you can make anything you want. You don't yeah. need a human to tell you to be told what to make. Right. And so to say, I want a cheeseburger and fries. You don't really need a human being involved in that. Yes. Well, you don't need a human. I mean, if a human can, if the computer can do a better job of detecting fractures and bones, you don't need a doctor. You don't. You might need. Yeah, and you may not need a doctor to perform the surgery, but maybe you won't need them later. Yeah, it's impossible to say what the, all of this um, is going to lead to. Uh, there's there well, are, it's not impossible to say what it's going to lead to. It's pretty clear what it's going to lead to. Do we still have pilots on airplanes? Well, I think in twenty years we won't. I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't know. So, I mean, Aaron, you, you're actually it's a good question to ask you because you have a you have a you know you and flying are not are not bed buddies. We're not one. Um, yes. Yeah. So I mean, would you get on a plane if there was not a pilot? Uh, reading accident reports. I would say that something like half of all accidents are caused by pilot error. Uh, and so I would rather get on an airplane without a pilot. You'd rather get on a plane. With... Okay, fair enough. I mean, wouldn't you? But you, all right, so you read accident reports. Um, well, but those, I don't those really aren't, read those aren't also, you, are you reading the reports where like a pilot actually prevented a catastrophe right. that would have otherwise happened? That's right. So those aren't published very much at all because there are probably like, tens of those every day where a pilot actually did something that saved a bunch of people and nobody even knew it because the pilot just did it and that's their job yeah right and so you don't read about all these close calls and stuff but yeah i don't even like, know like, i don't know i don't know how i mean what is the pilot's obligation to landing the plane i mean does the autopilot i thought the autopilot could even put it on the ground Right. And I think that's true. We need to get a pilot on this podcast, though. We really do. We have questions. We really do. And uh, um, I think that there's there's some discussion. I think you listen to as many podcasts as we do. There was some discussion about, like, now that airplanes are so automated that pilots have really nothing to do. They become and atrophied. And so they become atrophied. Right. And, like, it's worse having them in the cockpit. I think they blame the flight from Brazil to Paris That's on, right. on, atro- on pilot atrophy. Right, because when mm-hmm. the autopilot kicked off and said there's a problem, the pilot had no idea. The co-pilot had no idea what to do, and they sent the, the airplane into a nosedive because they thought that they were, like, rising or something. I don't didn't really understand. Yeah, wasn't there some ice? I thought there was ice right, on the ice on the pressure gauge or something yeah. like that. So they had no idea what was going on. I think we'll kill everybody on board. And the 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 report said if the co-pilot had simply let go of the throttle, everything would have been fine. Really? <laughs> yes. I listen. I think I listened to that same one. I just don't. I don't recall. Yeah, it's been a while. Right. I mean, that's really just crazy. So my thought is, in twenty years, yeah, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with uh, pilots 
being automated. What about drivers? Um, I think right now it's it would be a little scary because the software and everything is just under development. Yeah, but I think the, as they the advent of it. Right, as they get rid of more and more corner cases, as they do debugging on corner cases, I totally think that it's going to revolutionize things. I mean, the number of people who die in accidents, we were just talking today about motorcycle accidents. Motorcycle accidents won't happen if you have um, if you have automatic drivers, right? Because the, the, they'll be paying attention. The automatic drivers will be paying attention, and they won't run into you. Yeah. Yeah. Unless and it will be safe. Being a jerk, unless you're being think... a jerk, and then you could you hit the aggressive button on yeah, your well, Google yeah. car, you know, and it will get a frowny face, and it will start getting really close to people. When the Terminator f- decides that you're you're being too much of a jerk, <laughs> That's true. Um, this is this is a maximum overdrive, right? This is is that what it was? I, I isn't that the Stephen King uh, movie where like all the electronics um, oh, take over, take over, and even like the uh, what was it? The knife, the 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 knife, the knife that you use in the kitchen, like a turkey knife, like a turkey electric knife, electric turkey knife, like started going towards people. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Not the turkey knife. <laughs> it yeah. can only move by vibrating. Right. Yeah. So this is exactly this is Dave's worst fear: is that like <laughs> we have automated everything, and then the singularity happens, and then the computers take over the world. All planes crash, all automobiles <laughs> kill everybody, and then we're done. Well, think it's about my worst it. Worst fear. This is Dave's worst fear. <laughs> I mean, if the computers are looking to optimize the planet, yeah, that would be what they'd have to do. They, I don't know that they would have to kill everybody on the planet. They would probably have to trim the population down a fair mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Then they, they, then they would say. Who does organic gardening with their own goats and chickens? <laughs> and we'll keep those Win. people alive. Win. <laughs> those people, they can stay. Right. They're not jerks. They'll keep, you know, they'll put oil on us when, when, our, when our rusty <laughs> joints go bad. Um, but there's a lot of things that, you know, yeah, so Elon Musk was one of the keynote speakers, or he, gave, he was part of the keynote speech uh, at this conference last year on this topic. Mm-hmm. And he kind of said, well, maybe in 20 or 30 years, um, the, it will actually have evolved to a point with automatic cars that um, it will be illegal for people to drive their own cars right. because they're going to be yeah. just considered too dangerous, which I'm thinking, right. come on, we have a gun culture. How are we going to ever be That's too dangerous for <laughs> anything? Right. Um, and, yeah, that kind of makes sense, except I like driving. Right. I like getting mm-hmm. up on – in those city driving? No, I can pass. But if I can take my little car, go up on Mulholland Drive and zip around and, and take those corners, I like that. I like that a lot. And so yeah. can you imagine NASCAR racing if it's all just robots racing? It's like, who cares? But but wouldn't – okay, so if you I mean, went – NASCAR, who cares anyway? But go on. <laughs> <laughs> I care. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I care. You're pandering uh, to your base. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> right. If you ask me to name one person who um, drives a car professionally for a living – I can remember A.J. Foyt. Mario Andretti. Was, Mario Andretti. Yes, I know that guy. <laughs> and A.J. Wow, Foyt. A.J. Foyt. Very recent, <laughs> very recent uh, references. <laughs> the Indianapolis 500 was like two days ago. I know. I know. I know. Can you name anybody who is in the Indianapolis 500, Dave? Uh, I think Julio Castroneves is still driving. Oh, my gosh. Um, Juan Carlos Montoya. Wow. He's making this up. Totally he's totally making no. this up. 
These are indie guys. I don't know if they're they're still. They were uh, for a while top of the top of the pack there, but I don't know if they're still up there. I don't know who the best drivers are anymore. Yeah, but okay. So let's say you take your automated car uh, up to the mountains mm-hmm. north of like uh, Malibu or wherever you want to want to drive. Wouldn't it be like riding a roller coaster? Like you just uh, basically no, say, man. "Go fast." Yeah. Uh-uh. And then you'd be strapped in, and you'd be like, "Ooh, yeah, yeah." That's that's. I mean, that might be fun, but it's not. It's not I the can't, same. That's not the same. It's yeah. not the same. Being a passenger, so I ride with a friend who used, he used to ride, drive NASCAR. Yes, and uh, we do road rallies together, and he'll we'll go up and ride around those mountains, and he knows how to. He knows the absolute limit of every car he owns. He owns mm-hmm. like six cars, and he knows the limits of each one of them. And I, 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 can, I should say that I know the limit of my Prius. I know it's <laughs> it's already 45, there. Forty five. <laughs> um, but no, he knows how hard how hard he can corner when he sees a descending uh, like a decreasing radius corner and it says twenty mm-hmm. miles. He knows exactly what he's going to do in that corner. Right. And um, and if he, if he hits a little patch of of gravel, he knows exactly how to handle that. And a, I don't trust a car that could do that because mm. it's such a surprise and maybe it would you know it's, it's hard to say it's like i think i'm comparing this you know you have your old hp calculator and comparing it to your macbook <laughs> pro um you know things were are going to evolve and are gonna get better yeah. but for him the, the the thrill of driving is one thing for me as a passenger to be in the car just trying to take notes on what we're doing in the rally it's not so exciting mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know I, I'm, not, I'm not i'm not freaked out by it anymore he's just the the you know scared me quite a lot when he was driving. Right. Now I'm used to it. I'm like we'll be fine. But you're getting thrown around a lot. It's not that much fun. And so having something else control the car while you're getting thrown around is not. It's like yeah. I don't like roller coasters. So and, do you do you envision um, like having areas uh, radiuses that like within this radius of the city center of like Los Angeles or something like that? There's nobody. Nobody can drive. It all all has to be automated or something like that, and you just take your hands off of the wheels, and it just suddenly just takes over and goes. And then outside of that, you can choose one or the other. Or do you? I think have a hard time thinking that anybody's going to pass legislation that says you can't drive your own car. I think that that's just going to be so hard to get passed. Mm-hmm. I mean, people might think that that's. I don't know. They might think that that's the best thing for people, but you know, then they're going to someone's going to shout nanny state. I mean, yeah. when have we gotten gun legislation? Okay, but that's right? the that's the U.S. though. I mean, oh, look at oh, places yeah. like London, where you know basically you can only drive if you're special. You know, there's there's already places kind of like that. Oh, not with automated cars, but with like only certain people. Maybe only buses can drive, or you get taxed more to drive in this part of town. Yeah, I thought I, he, he mentioned Los Angeles, and so oh, okay, I was, I was, yeah, thinking, I mean, I was thinking really U.S. You are correct. There okay. are there are other countries. I think that that, that would be. Yeah. You know, yeah. And maybe it ends up being that you're just taxed a lot to drive, yeah. And you know, you're you're you can drive for free if you do it in an automated car or something, mm-hmm. or you could pay a lot of money to sit in traffic. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know. So, do you have to take off, Dave? I do have to take off. You guys can continue. This is a, a fantastic conversation, but I have to go pick up a kid. Okay. Well, then we'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Joe, thanks a lot, man. No, thank it's you. really good Bye. to talk to you. All right. We'll see you, Dave. Bye, Dave. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. Uh, so we have touched on... Everything? Almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been almost a full hour. Well, we should do... Well, we can erase this one and we'll do it again in, in, in a couple months. No, no, no. I mean, we could definitely do this again because we could talk about all sorts of stuff. I mean, this is interesting conversation. Uh, but what? let's do... Let's do really quickly like what type of hobbies do you have 
Um, music. I like to do music stuff. That's about it. I play guitars, and I play drums, and I play bass. I transcribe music. I like to do that. Yeah. You nice. are known for putting um, pieces of drumming on Facebook and asking people what piece of music is this. Yeah. <laughs> and they love it. <laughs> they do. They <laughs> love it. It's amazing. <laughs> Which I guess you just have to take out for, for drummers. They probably just take out their drumsticks and then play a couple of them and they go, oh, I, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them was uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is actually a pretty simple pattern. Um, and none of my drumming friends got it. A guitar player friend of mine got it. Oh, huh. And Because um, he recognized the beat? Yeah. Huh. And, and you know, he knows enough about music that he can say, oh, that's just... He can tap it out on his leg. And you're yeah. like, yeah, okay, that's Sunday, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Right. Um, but it was, what was astonishing was that I had drummers who were like, I'm trying, I can't place this one. This is so iconic. I mean, that's what the song is in the beginning. You know, there's right. nothing else going on. Um, yeah, and then some of them are really obscure, but that's just... So, yeah, I like to transcribe drum parts. And so uh, I have this nice software that slows music down way down, mm-hmm. but keeps the pitch the same. Hmm. And so I have friends who are like, oh, you're so good at transcribing. I'm like, no, I'm just meticulous, and I slow the stuff way down. If you heard it this slowly, it becomes really obvious what's going on. Somebody um, did notice that uh, you screwed up In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's that yeah. There's that ghost note on the bass drum that the I was The ghost missing. note on the bass drum. And, and I also watch the YouTube videos to see his leg move because I, you can't hear it. I was listening to some pretty bassy speakers, and I didn't hear it. And so I'm like, I'm going to call this a rest. <laughs> I'm going to say he's not playing it. And then, and then two friends called me out and said. But, and every time I've ever tried to play that fill, which I'm not a big Phil Collins fan, but everybody knows that fill. Yeah. I always played it with the bass drum. It just oh made, really? Yeah, it always made sense that mm-hmm. it would be there. But when I when I watched, it, I'm like, okay, I have to. Oh, this one. Oh, I'll do the Phil Collins one. And so I actually pulled up the YouTube video, and that's where I got it from. But I could swear I didn't hear it. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine there be, actually being a bass drum there. Yeah, it'd be very. It's very quiet. It's, it's, it's very weird. I mean, unless it's just super soft. But yeah, you know, he's got dynamics. He knows what he's doing. He does. Yeah. He does. He's Phil. But there's a lot of stuff that Steve Smith based. You know, like when he was in Journey. Um, considering it was a pop rock band, he does just amazing drum stuff. Hmm. But Steve Smith, you take him outside of that, that context, and he's just phenomenal. He's like one of the top jazz drummers ever. Huh. And um, you wouldn't know it from what he does in Journey, even though what the stuff that he did in Journey was a, is nobody was playing like that at all. And just the, the stuff he was, you know, most, most drummers, you put them down, they just play like boom, tap, boom, tap. You know, it's just like hi-hats. Hi-hats, you know, really evenly in snare drum and bass drum. It's like, it would be really boring. And he just played these really cool uh, open beats, but he's all over the drum kit playing these weird things. Um, but then you put him in a, jet, in a jazz situation, even like two years later, and it's just blowing everybody's mind. Huh. And, and now, God, he does this whole drum solo that's all pentuplets. Rather than playing one E and a, it's, he's playing five notes per beat. Oh, my gosh, really? Rather than four. Everybody understands four. They understand yeah. two. Yeah. Five. That's and he crazy. does it so fluidly, you would never guess. Huh. And when he says, oh, yeah, these are all pentuplets, I'm like, that's why it sounds different. And holy crap. But, you know, his control is amazing. He's um, just a beautiful drummer. And so a lot of the stuff tends to be Steve Smith because a lot of my drumming friends also know Steve Smith. So, you know, the backsides of, of Journey albums that nobody knows or, you know, one of them was off this Vital Information album. So why, uh, why should we care about human drummers anymore when... Uh, it's obvious that computers can do it better. They can't. <laughs> Isn't drumming all about precision, though? No, no, you don't. That's not about precision. 
It's, I mean, huh. if you're being uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater, then yeah, it's just about mechanical machine gun precision. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, most people don't find that very interesting at all. Hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of like I can, I can technically play part of Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto in C sharp minor. I know where the notes go and I know about when they come, but I don't sound like anybody who should be playing a piano mm-hmm. when I play it. And um, and then you can hear just different interpretations of it, and it's amazing. And so maybe there will be someone who wrote a beautiful algorithm where they'll make beautiful music, mm-hmm. um, but going and watching a computer play is not going to be any fun. Well, and yeah. that's why I don't like to see a lot of music now, anyways, because I like to, I want to go watch musicians do interesting things or play well or, hmm. or things that are are difficult to play well. Mm-hmm. And they don't do that anymore. Musicians don't play things well. Not as, no, 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 no. They don't. There doesn't seem to be such a high high price on playing stuff well hmm. live. Hmm. You, know, you know, Eddie Van Halen still plays the guitar really well live, and um, but like Led Zeppelin, I used to. I had a hard time with them as a kid. You know, I didn't understand why people liked them because they they weren't very precise. They were hmm. very sloppy, but they were actually beautifully sloppy. And I didn't realize that until years later. But you can't. It's hard. To, how do you get a machine to, to do that? Maybe someone will someday. They'll have a machine that can create Led Zeppelin music, and you'll want to listen to it, but no one's going to go see it live. Yeah. They watch I mean, it. but a lot of the stuff right now, like, isn't the introduction to, uh, like, the Blues Brothers, like, in the 80s, everything is synthetic pop and stuff like that, and it's all done with computer, not all of it, but there's a lot of computer-generated crap, like, synth, synth rock. Isn't that like computer generated crap? I mean, it is people playing, but the drum beats and everything are like all synth- synthetic and stuff. Yeah, they have synthetic sounds. Yeah. And they sound, they sound generally pretty synthetic, right? Yes. You do play the guitar, you play the bass, and, play the and you play the drums. So have, you could be like a one person band. And I have written some stuff for my for the band. I played with musicians where really? I've written all the parts. Do you uh, write lyrics too? No. No. No, that's your kind of thing. I'm not a that that was my type of thing when I was uh, like twelve, or or twenty. <laughs> 20. <laughs> twelve and twenty are almost equivalent. Yeah, they are at this point, asymptotically, <laughs> they're, they're looking about the same from this distance. Uh, no, I also like working on car. I like uh, I am taking over my dad's car, and I like working mm. on that a lot. Taking over—that's such a good way of putting it. Well, you know, it was his when he retired. That was the car that he restored. Yeah, and he can't drive anymore. He's not allowed right. out, and so I bought it off the family, and I'm going to keep it the restoration. And it's like I yeah. took over that project from. Right. I haven't put it on three wheels like he has, but um, <laughs> uh, it's you know it's, that, that's very fun. That's a very satisfying thing to do. Working on the other crappy cars we have is not so much fun. All right. Which would you rather work on? Uh, the Honda Odyssey or the Porsche? The Porsche, yeah. Yes. That's nicer. Yes. Um, uh, do you have Jesus on your... Uh... He doesn't fit on the dashboard. Oh, no! No. He's too oh. He's too large. Do, are you going to put him on your Odyssey dashboard? I should put him on the Odyssey dashboard. And you should give Evan <laughs> that, too. And just let him know that Jesus is watching over him all the time. Evan has his own car, but he won't drive it. What? Yeah. You guys got Evan a car? No, his aunt gave him a car. What what kind of car? It was a 2000 Saturn wagon stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> the equivalent to your... Uh, didn't you have like a Chevette or something like that? Uh, we didn't have no, a No, you had a T-1000. We had a Pontiac T-1000, which sounds like it's from the Terminator films, yes, right? Yes, yes. We had a Pontiac T-1000. Uh, but that... 
I don't know if that was a stick. This, the Chevette was a stick. The I had a Ford Probe that was a, was a stick. Oh, yeah. That was a lot Pro of Pro V1 Kenobi. Pro V1 Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that one was a blast. I loved that car. And yes. I had to get rid of it because it couldn't fit a car seat in it. Yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> but uh, a Saturn wagon, manual. It's actually kind of fun. Third gear is pretty fun in that car. Is it? It's not Porsche fun. Yeah. But it's... Um, you know, it's getting up there. It's getting up there. And actually, in that car, I can shift. Aside from starting from first, I can do all of it without clutch. I can shift all the gears without a clutch, which is kind of fun. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, wow. I, I didn't think that you were allowed to do that. Like, I thought that you damaged the, the transmission if you do that. I don't think. Or just if you just do it wrong. If you do it wrong. Yeah. If you're, if you're pushing really hard and it's, it's not the synchros aren't lined up and it's not ready for it, yeah. then it'll grind and make a horrible sound and you'll... Right. You'll wince and everybody in the car will laugh at you. <laughs> that's that's but, typical. Of but then if you're in a Saturn me. wagon, people laugh at you. Yeah, no, but he was gifted that. Everyone was gifted that car, um, and uh, he hasn't yet to learn. I mean, I, I had him drive like 50 feet in oh, first gear. He doesn't know how to drive the stick shift. It's a stick shift. That's what. Yeah, I mean. yeah. But I figure that's that's the age to learn a stick shift. Yeah, Don't try to do it really when you're 40. You yeah, know? yeah. No, I think. It, and it must be a challenge to learn how to drive a stick shift in Los Angeles. Right. I mean, you really have to take him way out somewhere. Well, he, yeah, he took a, he took an extra driving class after he did driver's training uh, and all, went all through all that. Uh, race car driving friend of mine recommended this course through the, I think it's like the BMW Club of America, which is they take you out onto a track. Uh, or in this case, it's out on the piers in Long Beach and in these huge areas of concrete that are open up. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's nothing you can hit. And so there's, there's no threat. Um, and it's learning how, how hard you can break a brake on the car without it. W- when does it start to lock up? And yeah. What's a real braking distance at 60 miles an hour? Right. And so they'll, rather than tailgating behind another car, they'll be in a lane at, next to it as if he was behind it and say, stay behind me. And then when I, I'll just hit, I'll hit my brakes at some point and you just make sure you don't go past me, which would be right. equivalent to a hit. And, and on the BMWs, they'll just lock up their brakes, you know, just, and you know, it's a matter of keeping your car at that distance. They used to be able to, before the drought, they would throw down water and you would try mm. to turn your car really hard until you learn how far it would, until it would, you know, skid, skid out. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you do in that case? And so in this case, they throw down like, um, like cornmeal or something like that, yeah. that is slippery when yeah. you're turning on it. And so yeah. that they're dealing with, so he got a lot more confident huh. after that driving class. Very cool. And, uh. But still, he but has to learn how to drive. Learning a stick. how to drive, yeah. drive a stick is the other thing, and you yeah. know that car is like butter, man. It's like the the clutch. It's like you almost can't screw it up. Right, right. You know, um, turns out that like a Porsche is a really tight mm. synchro. I mean, so getting it, getting it going first to second, you have to be really even careful about where the tachometer is when you're changing gears. Yes. Um, but the, the you know Saturn, you can be so sloppy, it's silly. Right. Um, it's actually kind of a bad lesson in how to shift. Yes. But it at least gets you the idea of it. Right. You know so. You listen to podcasts a lot. All the time. <laughs> so what uh, what podcast do you listen to? What are your uh, top 13 podcasts? I don't no, even think I have 13. When three I, podcasts I was, or something. Last year when I first started NVIDIA, I was up, I was onboarding and I, I camped up there for two months. And rather than staying in a hotel, I opted to stay in a campground. And so when a friend, friend of mine recommended podcasts, I would just listen to them to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And they recommended Radiolab. And this American life, and this American life is okay. I got kind of tired of that one fast. And plus, I was driving back and forth on the weekends back to LA, yeah. so I have an enormous amount of drive time. Yeah. But um, I really like the Radio Lab stuff. Yeah. Then Freakonomics, I like. I, I went through the Neil deGrasse Tyson one for a while, but mm. it, it, I kind of got tired of that. Uh, yeah. Freakonomics, I generally tend to like. 
I like Freakonomics. Um, the one thing I don't like about Freakonomics is the music. Uh, if you want to annoy yourself, uh, pay attention to the music. Okay. It's it's just annoying. Like the the music that they play have nothing to do with like what they're talking about. So it's it doesn't increase the drama or anything of it. It's just sort of like noise there, and it just once I realize that, like I can't get it out of my head. Oh, and great! Thanks. So, because like... I was, I was just going to say, I, I haven't even noticed it, and um, yeah, I, I had not even noticed that there was noise to it, and uh, I'm going to see if I have my list of podcasts. Ooh. Stephen Dubner does another podcast called uh, Question of the Day. That is an interesting podcast. Um, it is somewhat annoying. It would be nice if it wasn't so often. Uh, they do. It's like a 15-minute podcast mm. where they talk about a question of the day. But Stephen Dubner actually is somewhat annoying. On Freakonomics, he's actually really good. I like him a lot on Freakonomics. But when he's actually talking to somebody, he interrupts them a lot. And they go off on tangents, on tangents, on tangents. And that gets somewhat annoying because you're just like, get to the point. And so I'm sort of getting sick of that one. And hopefully you don't have a bad enough... Uh, association with him that you'll dislike right. Freakonomics. Right, Freakonomics is um, the Alec Baldwin one. Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah, that one's that one's can be very interesting. Yeah, uh, he actually had a really. He was uh, interviewing Pollock. I think he has two interviews with uh, Pollock, who was uh, is that his name? Yes. The Omnivore's Dilemma. Is that right? Yes. That was that was those were interesting. Relatively Prime's okay. Uh, Reply All is, is a good one. Reply All is really good. I think I like that's that formerly one. TLDR. Or guys yes. who I don't often do reply all, and they have some interesting yeah. tech stuff. Right, I um, like that a lot. Invisibilia, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I there were only like ten episodes, and then uh, paused for a year. But it's supposed to come out any day now. And ninety nine percent invisible. Ninety nine percent invisible is good. There's a new one that's supposed to be coming out. I think um, on the sixth. I forget mm. what it is. I just keep hearing the ad for it whenever I listen to podcasts, mm. and uh, that one sounds really, really interesting. Mm. But. Yeah, 99% Invisible is cool because it's like all these little things that you're like, oh, I never even thought of that. Yes. So all these little things that everybody experiences, but you never think about why it's the way that it is. And so right. right. Yeah, I like 99% cool. Invisible. Yeah. Okay, so obviously you listen to music while you work. A lot of times I do. Yes. Yeah. What kind of music do you listen to while you work besides Rush? I listen to a lot of Rush. Uh, and if I listen to Rush... I'll be drumming on my desk, and my neighbor, if I'm, if I'm up north at NVIDIA, yeah. he's also a drummer, drives him insane. And he's like, he has to like stop me. Because you drum so badly? Because that... I drum so poorly. <laughs> I, I, so, I drum involuntarily. Yes. Is it, I, there are, there are, I was watching a music video that, of a concert from 1988 that I had seen so many times that I can drum every note without thinking about it. Yeah. And so I'm just tapping away at the desk, and I didn't know that I was drumming. And right. he's just like, I need for you to stop that now. Yes. Um, Joey will just like, just like, turn to me and just say, "Stop it!" <laughs> that yeah. happens fairly often. Yeah, yeah. That'd be like it'd be like the shaking leg kind of thing where you know that can just drive you crazy. I yes. imagine that's got to be annoying. But yeah, I listen to I listen to a lot of different things. I went through a big Skrillex phase because mm -hmm. um, my son had gone through a big Skrillex phase, yes. and so I did that. Uh, but also like you know Led Zeppelin and. Iron Maiden Live is awesome, so I mm. will just put Iron Maiden on, and I've heard it so many times, I can just work through it. Yeah. Um, I used to love to work to trance music, mm. um, mm -hmm. but it kind of makes you sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, 
what do you drink? What do you drink during the day? Water. Really? Is yeah. that it? You don't drink any like caffeinated beverages um, or anything like that? My, sometimes, if I'm at home, my wife drinks the sugar-free Red Bull. So I'll have a sugar-free Red Bull. Sugar-free Red Bull. Oh, it's, it's, it's a nice case. But when I'm up north, I don't. Yeah. Um, I'll have a Coke with lunch because they have the pre-freaking sugar dispenser. Um, but I just keep a water bottle full and, and, huh. and filling it way too often. I mean, not that it's too much water. It's just the bottle is too small to hold a lot of water. Yes. And so I'm always in the kitchen filling up water. The, the drinking fountain downstairs, as you probably realized, is like the water pressure is mm-hmm. so low that you can only fill. I can fill my glass up like halfway. And so I get like six ounces. By the time I'm back to my office, I've drank the whole thing and have to turn around and get another stupid glass of water. Oh, yeah, I can see you're furious. The <laughs> water thing's really pissing you off, man. And, you know, it's been that way for 25 years. No, it hasn't been that way. It yes, actually, it was always low. That was really crappy. There was, it, it used to actually have a little bit more water pressure. I don't know why we're arguing about this, but like a year ago, the water pressure was maybe twice as much. So you could fill it up three quarters of the way. And, and one day it just went down in pressure. So some airports have installed a water bottle water bottle yeah. filling station. Now, of course, you know this. You travel so much. I think well, I want to say O'Hare or Midway mm-hmm. has this. Mm-hmm. LAX does not. But mm-hmm. LAX will sell you a water bottle. Oh, yeah. I bought I bought a Red Bull there. I walked out of the registry. It was like $5.70 some cents. I'm like, what? You missed. And I looked back at the, the little sticker. Yeah, five bucks. Huh. It's just, for a Red Bull. Yeah, normally it's like a two bucks. Yeah. And it's just the mark up there. So, yeah, that, there's that whole thing. But... Throw in a water, you know, I have to, you make me pour water out. This thing that you think is an explosive, you make me pour into the water basket next to you. And that might explode, but that's okay with you. (laughs) And now I have to walk through security and I I have no water. Right. And so at LAX, that's a bit of a drag. DTW is, I don't think they have any water filling. There are fountains around. In between the men's and ladies' room, there are fountains. But, you know, that little water water bottle thing, that fills it to the top. It's very nice. You're not sitting there, you know. And it's faster, too. Oh, it's really fast. Yeah. It's really amazing. Water, man, it's pissing me off. It is. It's just making me furious. Oh, yeah. What's the guy on uh, the Mystery Men? Isn't it uh, like uh, somewhat fur- somebody furious? Mister Furious, Captain Furious. Captain, that sounds right. Captain Furious. Yeah, I worked on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you animate? Like the bowling ball or something? I think his it was the his skull comes up. Somebody's head comes apart like there's some sort of ray that oh, their head comes yes. open like that. Yes. So we worked like at the on end that. of the movie. We used to do a lot of movies where we had like a handful of shots because, mm. you know, there was a movie Spawn. Oh yeah. We yeah. did one like one effect, like John Leguizamo's eyes come out of his head and we is that his name? Leguizamo? His eyes come out of his head and dangle around or something like that. Huh. And we did that effect. Or maybe a hand coming out of the ground. Mm. But really you are not a very uh, good Los Angeles person if you don't know the names of everybody in every movie. Right. I don't. <laughs> you suck. Um, well, there, was that, there was that whole mythology that everybody in Los Angeles is about the movie industry. You know, I right. worked in it and I didn't care. Yeah. I mean, I care. I was happy to be in the industry. It was a fun industry to be in. Right. But I, you know, I didn't care who the actors were. Right. You know, my wife could recognize everybody. We'd be at a pizza place and I'd go, oh, that's Tom Hanks' wife. I'm like, how do you know what Tom Hanks' wife looks like? Yes. Well, she's famous too. Oh, I didn't know that. You know. Right. Um, right. I would recognize Tom Hanks. We would see King. What's the King guy from CNN? Stephen King? No, not Stephen King. <laughs> um, 
Jesus, what is his name? I don't know. Boom, the old guy from CNN. Oh, Larry King. Larry. You see him all the time in Beverly Hills. Huh. He just walks. He goes to the you know he goes to the shop a few doors down from where we get pizza, and I think I've taken you for there for pizza. Uh huh. But he's there. We've seen him a couple times. And you don't miss that guy. Right. You know. Right. But you know, and Shaquille O'Neal, geez, he got out of the car at the Toys R Us, and he had this. He had his Cadillac. He had replaced the Cadillac logo on the back of his car with a Superman logo. Huh. And I was like, yeah, you don't miss this guy. And he stands right. up out of the car, and like, okay, that's Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, that's. It's hard to tell. But there's so many people who I just would have no idea and walk right past them. Right, but um, Neil Peart, you'd be able to recognize. Neil Peart. Peart, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I would, I would it def- was my Canadian accent. I recognized him by his voice as he approached behind me at the grocery store, and I froze. I had nothing I could say to him. <laughs> I had an infinite while loop going in my head that says, think of something to say. While thing, uh, thing you thought to say is not stupid, think of a new thing to say, and I never got out of that stupid loop. Um, While your wife like walked up and said, "Hey, Neil, how's it going?" No, she was like all smiles and waving. Hi, how you doing? And, um, yeah, no. and you're just like, blah, blah, blah. yeah, and, yeah. I'm standing next to him, have nothing to say, and freaking out, and I get endless crap about it from all my friends, including you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but yeah, it's awesome. But I also know that that's a person who doesn't like to be right. confronted by his fans, and so I, do I want to be that guy? I was, you know, it was a total, total terror of whether you want to be. Yeah, that or not. Yeah, but and there are I when you listen to um, people talk about like being approached by strangers and stuff like saying, "Hey, how's it going? I love your work." Stuff like that's perfectly fine. But then trying to talk to them for minutes and minutes or something. I had a friend, a guy who used to cut my hair. Um, he used to work on sets for movies or, or for movie stuff, and he did a lot of video shoots. Like he worked on Red Hot Chili Peppers videos. And yeah, he was a long time hair guy for Bon Jovi's guitar player. I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but huh. kind of kind of a famous guy, I guess. Anyway, so for years he was doing this guy's hair. Whenever they were in L.A., he would come over and do his hair, and, just ch- and they were friendly, and they kind of knew each other. I think he'd been to his house. Uh, never, ever talked about work. Hmm. And after several years of working with this guy, he says, listen, my wife's a big fan. Can I get an autograph? He said he just clammed up. It was never The relationship was never the same after that. All he did is say, my wife's a big fan. Can I get an autograph? And it just, huh. that was a deal changer for that whole relationship. Yeah. And so it's like when he can be, when he's just a normal guy and you treat him like he's a normal person, that's one kind of relationship. As soon as the whole fandom thing can get yeah. introduced, depending on the person, they just yeah. can't, you know, they don't want anything to do with that. Uh, they, I think I've told you, Perry Farrell lives a few streets over. And I'll, I've heard him. You know, Sean and I were on a walk. We used to walk right on the block, on the other side of the block from him. So one time I'm like, oh, we'll walk around the block and go by Perry Farrell's house. And I could hear him. Uh, I could hear him through the door. I could hear him, you know, you don't mistake that voice, huh. right? Uh-huh. And, like, and I hope I never see him because it'll be a total tell. He'll know that right. I know who he is. And right. I, don't, I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, I'm somewhat magnetically drawn to know, well, I can hear him in his house and I'm super curious, but I don't, I somehow don't want to interact with him and be the weird guy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should get your autograph. Oh, yes. Because yeah. you're so famous. Because it's so, oh my God, I made a mistake like that. A friend of mine had written a book. Uh-huh. And, uh, and a couple of guys were working, and, and it was a really great book that I really wanted to read. It was a, it was a computer programming book, but that's like, I really, really wanted it. <laughs> oh, my God. It was for, oh, it was um, parallel programming for visual effects. It was a huh? really good book. Yeah. And um, had a lot of examples on it. And, and uh, someone said when he's passing it over the table, he said, oh, he should autograph it. So he autographs inside the book. I said, well, now it's 
now it's I can sell it on eBay for five bucks or something like that. I'm like I because basically like nobody else wants this book but me, right? And you know like I you know, he's a great guy, but it's like he's not a famous guy. He's right. Like right, everybody right, knows right. who he is, but oh, I didn't realize what how big how far I put my foot down my throat when I said that. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, how he horrible. must have he he must have known that it was a joke. I hope so. I mean, we, we've been very friendly after that. Yeah, know, yeah, so, yeah. But, um, I yeah. mean, if you like, if if uh, I gave you a copy of one of my papers and you were like, oh, why don't you sign this paper? <laughs> <laughs> well, what it was is somebody else suggested that, hey, you know, someone said, hey, Aaron, why don't you sign a paper? And you thought they were serious. And oh, you did. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 it's like 45 cents. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Once again, you suck. Uh-huh. Uh, why does everything always have to come back to that? <laughs> that's like your that's your thesis, and you're just gathering evidence. Everything is. I'm jealous of your life, man. That's, I'm jealous of your life. Mm-hmm. You've had the ideal Los Angeles and the Angelino. Yeah, I got right. to be mocked by everybody. Right, excellent. And you used to um, you used to text me like while you were you and your wife were sitting in the park. You'd be like, oh. Sitting next to David Duchovny and Tia Leone. Haha. Well, <laughs> that was only because you and you guys had some sort of agreement. You had an arrangement with your wife. You had an arrangement with your wife that if you ever came across Tia Leone and David Duchovny, it was okay. You had the, it was okay. The right. pass was right. Was the granted, pass exactly. was granted for that one. Exactly. And we happened to be at the park, and there they were. And there they were. <laughs> oh man! I think my wife had to tell me that that's who they were, though. Taylor I may have recognized. I didn't know she was married to David Duchovny at the time. No, no. And, uh, I wouldn't recognize anybody. Like I, I don't recognize anybody. It's pretty sad. Yeah, you might recognize Taylor Leone though. I. Probably would recognize Tia Leone. Yeah. I've had a thing for her for um, a few years. Did you ever have a Helen Hunt thing then, too? Oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. Helen yeah. Hunt. Oh, yeah. my God. Bread and butter with those. You know, it was like, yeah, a real similar yeah. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Maybe we should end it there yeah. with Helen Hunt. <laughs> That's a perfect, <laughs> perfect ending. Spot. You'll have to edit that out before our wives get <laughs> rid of that because yes. I, I pay endless... Yeah, I think uh, I think my wife has uh, listened to one episode. That's it. Yeah, she's she's had enough. Yeah, I think my wife might listen to the one. Uh oh, uh oh. All right, well then yeah. we'll edit this out. Then. Oh no, she's really worried about Anna Kendrick. That's what she's worried. About. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's very funny because like when she's like fourteen years old, like, right? You, know. you have like um, uh, such a good shot with. Oh her. yeah, yeah. That's the. She loves those programmers. <laughs> well, I always refer to my, my rush t shirts as the lady repellent. You know? Yes. And I'm pretty much always wearing one. Yes. So, you yes. know, there's nothing to fear. Right. <laughs> it's almost as good as an Emacs t shirt. Yes. Oh my god, I should get an Emacs t shirt. Yes. Yeah. Then it's a done deal. You know, like... <laughs> Seal the deal right there. All right, three, two, one. Say goodbye. Goodbye, Aaron. Yeah, it actually doesn't seem to be that bad. Oh, the levels are really low. Don't have low levels. Yeah. Um, Why don't you shout? I could talk very loudly. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> That's much better. Uh, I already have the recording levels up there. Yeah, shit. <laughs> All right, Joe, say something. Um, I was going to ask you when you're going to run this through the auto-tune. We don't have auto-tune, uh, man. Well, then I'm, I'm done. 
<laughs> I, think, I think there's got to be an auto-tuned filter in Audacity. Oh, we could it maybe... It goes to 11. Oh, that's the output gain? What is that gain? That's definitely not an input gain. No. Well, output uh, gain is normally volume. Okay, right. I would, <laughs> I would agree with that. But what, So what the, do you think what that is? The plebes call it. The plebes, yes. The, that's probably an input gain. So if you want to... So you what think? happens? I think the loudest thing you did was well, move the microphone. Did there right? That's, <laughs> that's moving yeah. the microphone caused it to be uh, very loud. I think that this is going to be okay. You, you don't want to be clipping. You know? Well, you definitely don't want to be clipping, oh, but you, you don't want to be too low either. No, because you have like one low, bit of information. That's right. So what's this one for then? I'm going to record on this one too because I don't trust this one. <laughs> I don't I don't trust anything. It's like you're cheating. <coughs> you're cheating on your microphone with another microphone. It's <laughs> yes, like your mistress. That's exactly right. You don't trust this one. Uh, that's very true. Because this one has failed me, just like my mistress has failed me. I don't really. Have IDL a was your mistress. IDL. <laughs> you can't. You can't spell Ridley without IDL. Or Fortran. I think Fortran. I wrote a poem about Fortran once. Oh my God. <laughs> it was not very flattering. You are a nerd all right uh let's turn the input levels up for this one too and i will turn it sideways so we're both getting lots of um whatever 